Listening to the Civil Sentinel Podcast. Evening, gentlemen. Evening. Evening. This is episode two, Civil Sentinel Podcast. This is a podcast all about comms, and uh, we're going to continue the comm discussion today. I'm joined by Tito. He goes by Florida Man Outdoors. And my name's Jake. I'm Civil Sentinel. Um, And this week we're joined by Resilient Civilian. Uh, His name is Andy. What's up, Andy? How are you doing, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to have you on. Uh, yeah, been man, looking forward to, have to it and uh, enjoying your content so far. Nice to have another uh, DMR guy out there. <laughs> Not many of us, it seems like. So we're going to do uh, a discussion this week on uh, VHF and UHF. And uh, it's the most handled uh, radio out there. All handhelds, pretty much all of them are UHF or VHF or both. And uh, so uh, let's start breaking down these bands and discuss what the difference between them are and uh, which band is good for what and, and all that good stuff. And uh, a little bit later in the podcast, uh, I got some questions from Instagram that we'll dive into. But first, Andy, let's go back to you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who are you? How'd you get into comms? Uh, how long you been in the comms and what do you want to do with it? Sure. So uh, I got into comms back in about 2014 and it was kind of a... Um, Kind of like a last minute thing, I guess you could say. My family and I, we go on these big camping trips. It's kind of like a big family reunion every year. And we go out way out in the mountains, no cell service, nothing. We're probably about an hour from the closest town, hour and a half from the closest hospital. And we had had some incidents over the years, dirt bike crashes and whatnot. There had been a few hospital trips from there. And about a week ahead of time, I just kind of started thinking, you know, we really need to have a way to like call for help if we need it. So I started kind of looking into ways that we could uh, possibly call for help if we had to. And I started learning about ham radio a little bit and I decided, okay, I'm going to get my license. I started taking a test on or not a test. I started taking a class on I think it was like a Tuesday and then I finished it by Friday. I had the test on Saturday passed the test and then we had a, uh, I was living in San Jose, California at the time. We had a ham radio outlet out there. So I just went in there and told the guys, Hey, I just passed my test. What should I get? And they handed me a Yesu FT60. We were heading out on the camping trip that week. And ironically, when we were on our way out there, uh, we had some family already out there and my aunt actually ended up having a minor stroke while we were on our way. Uh, she, she was fine, but I just, you know, it kind of solidified for me why I was getting into this is they were, I think they cut the hour trip to the closest town to about a half hour going through winding mountain roads when the speed limit's like 25. That really solidified for me why I was getting into it. But realistically, I was looking for the community that we have on Instagram now, kind of the more like tactical survival comms community, not necessarily the amateur community, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, Absolutely. So, uh, what part of the country are you in? You still in California? Oh no, no. Thankfully, I moved out of there. I've been up in Idaho for uh, coming up on two years now, and I could not be any happier about that move. It is a different world out here, and I'm loving every minute of it. Yeah, man, Idaho's beautiful. That's a that's a great that's a great countryside out there, man, and great great group of people too. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Just. I, 
doesn't matter who they are. Strangers will wave to you, and people are polite when they're driving. Like, you could be at a two-way stop, the stop sign, and just traffic's constantly going the opposite direction, and people will stop and let you in. They don't have to. They just do. It's It took me a while to get used to, honestly. Yeah, I bet, especially coming from San Jose. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I grew up there, and then uh, when I was 18, I actually moved up uh, to Northern California. I was in the Chico area for about... Uh, almost 10 years, I think, before we moved out to uh, moved out to Idaho. Yeah, Chico's also a beautiful area. Butte County. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was absolutely gorgeous out there. The only problem was it was contaminated by California. <laughs> State of Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if only. Yeah. So uh, going back to something you said, did you have any trouble learning about ham radio? Was it difficult for you at all? Not at all. I um, I found a uh, I found a class I could take online, and it honestly made things really simple. And I've recommended that a handful of times to other people because, really, if you're just getting started and you don't really know what you're doing or what all the different terms mean, those classes tend to break things down really, uh, really easily, and just makes it easy to understand. And like I learned enough in three days to go and pass the test. Even if you don't necessarily want to take the test and go get your license, like you can learn a lot from that class in a short amount of time. Was it like a was it like a seminar, like with a teacher, or was it like a slideshow or something like that? No, it was uh, it was kind of like an interactive slideshow. They'd have questions throughout the presentation. It'd all be broken up into sections, and you'd have quizzes at the end of it, and it would keep track of the questions that you missed, and it would focus on those and make sure that you really understood those before moving on to the next section. Right on. Was that ham radio prep? No, I think that was, um, what was it called? It was like ham test online. Nice. I did the, uh, I did the ham radio. What is it? Is it hamprep.org or hamstudy.org? That's what I did. Hamstudy.org. Yeah, there's ham study. I used the ham radio prep and it was really good. Kind of the same thing. Like, uh, like, uh, resilient was saying is, you know, there's there's course sections and it breaks it all down really good for you. And then you take a test or like a quiz for every section. And then there's practice exams and you can take it all as much as you want. And it's like I think it was like 20 bucks to sign up uh, initially and it gives you like lifetime access. So if you ever need to go back and like check, you know, regulation or or just brush up on some technical stuff, it's it's pretty easy to do. OK, yeah, the one I used, I think it was also $20, but it was only it was only valid for as long as they were pulling from that question pool that the FCC was using at that time. Oh, okay. What question pool are we on today? Does anybody know? I have no I they idea. Changed. They changed. I'm the... pretty sure it literally just changed. I think it was. I think it changed like 2023. I haven't. Right even on. I don't know how long. Yeah, I stopped caring after I got my general because <laughs> I basically no interest to go up to extra and try and learn about all of that stuff, which basically has no use to me. Oh yeah, I tried looking at that when I um, after I finished the general section when I got my general license, I I had the option to take some extra practice tests, and it went about as well as calculus did for me in college, which was <laughs> the only way I was able to describe calculus was black magic. So that's about how extra looked. I went through the extra pool a little bit when I studied for general, and I was like, yeah, nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll stick with you. Yeah, I did too. Kind of the yep. same thing for me. I, I looked at some of the questions and some of the study materials for the extra and was like, yeah, nah. So Andy, do you have your, you have your general, right? I do have my general. Yeah. 
Do you have a HF radio? I do. I've got a, um, I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce it. It's uh, like a Zygu or Shagu or whatever it is. It's the X108G. Came out, um, that was a, that was a while ago it came out. But I've got that and I, that is, I decided to go with one of those like telescopic whip antennas that you could just mount on the back of it and you could get all bands as long as you had a counterpoise the right length for it. And I really have not had good luck with that antenna. It took me the longest time just to figure out that you can't have the counterpoise laying on the ground. Like I never heard anything for several years trying it. And all of a sudden I came across one random comment on a blog somewhere that you need to have your counterpoise up off the ground. I finally did that. And all of a sudden here's all this HF traffic. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it doesn't even have to be that high off the ground. It just has to be like slightly elevated, like even a few inches. Oh yeah, yeah. We had um, we had a small backyard at this townhouse we were living in at the time, and I just strung it out across some of the plants that were in the backyard, and uh, that was actually ended up how I ended up making my my first and only HF contact at that point, and it was from it was from Chico to somewhere in Hawaii, and. Honestly, the the excitement that I got hearing my call sign come back was it, it was pretty exciting. That's a good that's a good jump. Chico to Hawaii. What is that? Probably four thousand miles. Nah, not four thousand. Two thousand. Yeah, probably two like k. Something like that. It was it was pretty good. I was I was fairly impressed, but I haven't been able to do anything since then with that antenna. So I need to. Uh, I probably need to build a better antenna or something like that. Which, funny enough, when I was up in the attic yesterday, like I was posting about i forgot the uh the guy that we bought this house from he was actually a ham he was in like his his 80s when he moved out and he was doing all kinds of stuff around the house but i went up there and i found remnants from like an old long wire antenna that he left up there so i found a couple of free insulators in my attic nice i wonder if he had like a like a uh, a loop antenna or something strung up in his attic maybe i'm not 100 percent sure what it was it might have it might have just been a dipole there's probably enough space in my attic to fit a 40 millimeter dipole or millimeter, 40 meter. Probably enough space to fit a 40 meter dipole up in my attic pretty easy. That's sweet, man. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I've heard, I got a buddy, I'm just getting into HF and I got a good buddy here. He's the one that got me into radio back in 2014 and uh, he's an HF guy. Um, he was kind of coaching me on some HF stuff and he told me that 40 meter is the band that you want to go with if you're going to do invis and it's it's the one that's open the most and even during daylight hours it's got the best propagation odds better than 60 meter and all that stuff i'm not i'm i'm still getting into general so general i'm still getting into hf so i'm still figuring all that stuff out but yeah that's what i've heard too my and my my interest with hf kind of comes and goes. I've had my general license since about 2016, and I kind of got my radio set up as like a um, a portable unit, so I can take it out and set it up whenever I need to, and that ends up being a bit of a hassle. So I don't get it out all that often. I I kind of want to focus more on like having a robust local comm system. Like HF will be a goal later on down the road, but right now I kind of want to focus on local. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I got my general in like preparation for getting into like HF, uh, like like you were saying, like man portable HF uh, deployment, you know, in the field and stuff like that, mainly for like Envis. But 
I don't know anybody else that has that scale or capability. So I've really just been focusing on, you know, the squad level and local comms. Yeah, HF really seems like a, a serious rabbit hole you can go down that would take a long time to figure out. So that's actually a perfect segue into the topic that we wanted to dive into today, which is VHF and UHF, which is where you're going to hang out if you're going to do local comms and uh, stuff like that. So let's dive in. What do you guys say? Sounds good. Get right in. What's everyone drinking tonight? I've got some Woodford Reserve. Nice. Hell yeah. I just poured my uh, last few drops of uh, Old Humble Distilling Company whiskey out. It's a uh, it's a whiskey made here in, uh, let's see, Humble, Texas. I haven't heard of that one. We got a lot of local distilleries here in Texas now. This is a good it's one. Super cool, actually. It's super smooth. It's good. I got a distillery pretty close to me, but I haven't been yet. I need to check it out. I've heard they make some pretty good stuff. I think there's some around me too, but I also, I haven't been yet. I need to go find them. I, on the other hand, am about to polish off the last little bit of a uh, bottle of Four Roses that my buddy gave me months ago for my birthday, because I don't really like this stuff, and I haven't acquired the taste for like bourbons and whiskeys. And then I've got a, uh, a Guinness poured here to back it up. Nice. I like Four Roses. It's not, it's... I guess I just don't have, you know, the taste. I don't know what I'm looking for. When it comes to, like, craft beer and things, yeah, I could tell you all about it. But when it comes to, like, the bourbons and the whiskeys and, and uh, like, spirits, I guess, I, I don't know the first thing. I'd break it down I like this. Either. I just know if I like them or not. For, for a 22 to $28 bottle of whiskey, Four Roses is decent. It's, okay. It's, it's way better than uh, Jack Daniels or Jim Beam. Oh, way, way better. I can't do Jack. I can't do Jack. I know that. So I got a buddy here. He's a he's a whiskey connoisseur. So he takes clove tea bags and uh, he'll pour a half gallon of Four Roses in a bowl and he'll put like five clove tea bags in it and let it steep, just not hot or anything, just room temperature for like 48 hours. And then uh, he mixes it with a little bit of cream and, and makes a cocktail over ice with it. And it's 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 weird, but it's good. It's interesting. It's an interesting drink. That, that sounds interesting. I could but see it's that. So yeah. good. It's so good. Huh. Well, I guess we should dive right into this uh, VHF UHF then. Sounds good. Yeah, for sure. So I did a little bit of homework on it, on top of what I already know about VHF UHF. For starters, yeah, kind of did the same. VHF and UHF are the most common bands used in handheld radios. Uh, the Baofeng is a VHF UHF radio. Pretty much every handheld Yesu out there is a VHF UHF radio. You can find DMR in VHF or UHF. You can find uh, P25 in VHF and UHF. Um, you can find a bunch of uh, mobile radios that are like truck radios and stuff like that. Um, VHF UHF. And uh, since it's one of the most common it's it's worth diving into and uh to piggyback yeah, on that uh one of the most common questions i get from people who are interested in getting into radio is hey how far this will this talk or what's the range on it um, i can't tell you how many times i've gotten that question um because before before i really started on instagram i actually started over on tiktok and it was weird i made one video on the difference of being able to talk on dmr versus analog and for some reason that went viral 
And last I saw it had over 500,000 views. And I can't tell you how many times I got the question, how far can this talk? People want like a numerical answer to it. And I just kept having to say like, it depends. There's a lot of stuff that plays into it. It's not as easy as the bubble pack radios that say 40 mile range, make it sound. Right, right. Oh, that's so funny. And they're both, each band has its own characteristics. I think that's worth noting that VHF is different from UHF. And, you know, there's no perfect band out there. One band isn't better than the other, depending on what your environment is and where you are. That's going to impact how that band uh, behaves, how that signal path is impacted, what your propagation characteristics are. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. it's not an easy answer, unfortunately. And like uh, like Andy was saying, man, people are always looking for like that like hard line like number. They want to know like you know this thing will talk for eight miles or ten miles or something, and it's just it's not that easy. So I think one of the um, one of the foundational starting points there is wavelengths, and uh, we can get into that a little bit right now. But VHF is going to have a longer wavelength because it's a lower frequency than UHF and UHF is going to have a shorter wavelength and that changes how that signal path is going to travel and what that signal is capable of doing. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so a higher frequency equals shorter wavelength, basically lower frequency, longer uh, wavelength. Right. And for anyone who's not too familiar with, um, with kind of like how ham radio works, VHF is typically referred to as the two meter band and UHF is typically referred to as a 70 centimeter band. Those are those are rough estimations of how long that particular wavelength is. Right, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So a two meters is roughly like one, I think it's a 145 megahertz or 146 megahertz is like two meters. Uh, 70 centimeters is uh, like about four, I think it's about 440 if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right, so I know the calculation is you take the speed of light, 300,000 miles. So 300 is the, the key number there because all EMF travels at the speed of light divided by the frequency, and that'll give you your wavelength. So uh, 300 divided by 150 is two. So you have two meters, two, uh, two meter wavelength. Yeah, that's that's right. It's it's 300 divided by frequency in megahertz gives you uh, wavelength in meters. And, and it's always rounded to like the nearest number. No, yeah, like exactly. 146 megahertz, that's that's two meter. For all intents and purposes, that's 150 megahertz. But it falls in the two meter range. Yeah, exactly. Just backing up a little bit, VHF is very high frequency and UHF is ultra high frequency. A little bit of history here. Back when radio was kind of pioneered, uh, thank you, Nikola Tesla. During World War II, they thought that HF... They called it high frequency because they thought that was like the highest frequency range that you could go. They didn't know, they didn't understand the science of it. And they didn't know that, they didn't have their electronics dialed in. And they didn't know that you could actually go higher than HF. And and at that time, it was like a 10 meter, 11 meter. And 11 meter is CB radio. Yeah, that's about what, 25 megahertz, something like that? Yeah, 11 meters is what, 27. 27. Think, yeah, CB is around 27, 10 meter is 28. Okay. And yeah, back in back in World War II days, all the radios were ten meter, eleven meter, and and that was high frequency, and they they didn't they didn't know that you could go higher than that. So when it all started to kind of develop, 
it was like, oh, we can go way higher than that. Well, what's higher than a uh, high frequency? Well, it's very high frequency. <laughs> well, what's higher than very high frequency? Ultra high frequency. There you go. And then, you can go beyond that. And this is where your Wi-Fi routers are in the microwave band kind of, but you got the 2.4 gigahertz and the 5 gigahertz. Yeah, 5,000 megahertz. And and all your all your microwave frequencies. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I didn't know that about uh, you know kind of the history. Were they using like ten meter like ground wave or were they doing like sky wave? Because from what I know about uh, ten meter is like ten meter sky wave is uh, super like finicky. No, they had. If you look at those, if you watch like Saving Private Ryan, you see the 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 guys with the man packs on. They had those super long antennas on them. It was all great. Yeah, it's big long whip. Yeah, it was an infed antenna for ten meter, and so they're doing they're doing ground wave on. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. They just they didn't know any better. Gosh, it, they worked with what they had and they made it work. God, what a, a quarter wave antenna for ten meters. You're talking like seven and a half, like eight feet. Yeah, big old massive flag hanging off your back. <laughs> Big old massive sign that says "shoot me," right? And can you imagine yeah, no, like hearing that? Can you imagine like walking around with a f- a quarter wave, forty meter wavelength antenna sticking straight up? No, <laughs> I legitimately don't think that's possible. So, so that's fun fact: power lines, right? Yeah, you'd get electrocuted walking around the city with it. <laughs> but um. So fun fact, you see, we all, we've all seen the pictures of the Hummers in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they have that long bent over antenna on the Hummer. Those are, I, I believe they're 20 meter. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure I'll, we'll get comments about this, but that's a 20 meter, 20 meter antenna in fed, uh, quarter wavelength. Reason they bend it over and tie it down to the back of the vehicle is they're doing invis with it. Um, so they have a 20 meter radio inside that truck and, oh. uh, yep. the truck acts as the ground and the radio or the antenna acts as the uh, radiator. So, so they bend it down and they tie a little piece of rope to it and then they tie the rope to the bumper. And so it creates like an arc in the antenna and it, and it projects that signal straight up to the atmosphere. And then, yeah, or it gives them a really steep tape takeoff angle for Envis. Yeah, exactly. So, so they basically figured out how to do mobile Envis antennas on their trucks. That's really yeah, that's cool. actually super cool. That's something I would like to actually test out. Although I don't, I don't know about the twenty meter. Is the twenty meter band available for civilians? Yeah, yeah. There's twenty meter available. That's um, that's pretty typical for HF. That's around fourteen megahertz. But everything that I've heard, okay. that I've I've heard that twenty minute that twenty meter isn't that good for and this. I thought forty meter was really the the highest you could go. Yeah, 40 meter is the standard and then like 80 meters for like nighttime operation from what I understand. Yeah, and I, I may be wrong on, on what band or wavelength that that Hummer antenna is, but I know it's a big old long whip antenna that they tie down to the back. And um, Yeah, I just saw some. I live, uh, I live kind of close to a base and I just saw some military vehicles driving down the road the other day. And I mean, the Humvees... I mean, they're still using like that kind of technology. The Humvees, some of like the larger like troop transport vehicles that I saw going down the road, they all had those super long whip antennas that were tied back in an, in an arced fashion. 
Yeah, and that's what they're doing with it. They're they're sending that signal straight up versus, you know, you yeah. could you could get out there and untie that antenna off the rear bumper. That antenna would stand straight up and then you got ground wave and then yeah, vertical end fed, you'd have ground wave propagation. That's cool. So, yeah, yeah, that is pretty cool. And the uh the the book I mentioned on the last podcast, the radio the United States Marine Corps Radio Operators Handbook actually covers that pretty extensively about the vehicle mounted antenna configurations and why they tie them back and actually the different uh, measuring the angles of the of how far you should tie it back depending on the frequency you're using and what you're trying to accomplish. So I think it's worth noting that there there are no handheld HF radios and the reason for that is so. not that I know of. Yeah, there, there's there's not, but the reason for that is because of the length of the antenna required to to make a transmission. I think the yeah, caveat exactly. to that is there are some uh, there are some handheld radios for the CB band, and I was just recently yeah, seeing those. something like that. Some some company I think built a handheld radio based on like the bow thing to work on the CB band, and now it's apparently using FM two instead of AM. But I think that's about as low a frequency as you can go for a handheld. I do remember a question on the uh, general. Uh, you can electronically lengthen your antenna. So it's it's not literally the length of a quarter wave, 20 meter or 40 meter antenna. But it, it's electronically that length. And there's some, like some capacitors and diodes that you can put in there to artificially create that kind of signal out of it. And uh, Right. And I, I think yeah, you're the right. antenna I, has to I do forget. with that too. Yeah, yeah, coiling. I forget uh, what uh, what Jake's talking about there, but as far I remember that being on the on the general though. I think it's a, a capacitor. If you put a capacitor at the end of uh, like basically like a whip um, or end fed antenna, you can uh, electronically lengthen the antenna so to the to the energy that you're feeding into the antenna and that you're putting out it. It is. It appears as if you're using a, a longer antenna when you're actually not. Yeah, it's like a capacitor or resistor or something like that that exactly makes it look like it's longer than it actually is. Yeah. So I think it's worth noting that um, HF has a lot longer range uh, based off the characteristics of the frequency and the antenna. And VHF and UHF don't have that kind of range. So there's a there's a time and a place to go into HF, and then there's a time and a place to go into VHF and UHF, and uh, that's what we want to get into right now is kind of yep. breaking down yeah, what's exactly. the difference between UHF and VHF, and and when do you use VHF? When do you use UHF? And what are the differences yeah. between yeah. the two of them? How do they behave differently? Well, I think I think a good a good way to say it is you know well we we were talking about some HF there, and HF is really for your like beyond line of sight communications where things you know whether there's uh, major terrain features like hills or mountains in between you and the target and uh you need to you know get over those things uh whereas you know vhf and uhf are uh more line of sight dependent uh the better the line of sight um the or the more clear the line of sight to the targeted radio uh or between the two radios the better um I also think a good place to start off with is just to let people know uh, VHF is actually anything between 30 and 300 megahertz. So the frequencies can actually get relatively very low in the VHF band. 
And then UHF is 300 megahertz to 3000 megahertz or three gigahertz. Uh, you know, like we were saying, that's just uh, uh, the, the higher your frequency gets, the more dependent on line of sight your communications are. That's a really yeah. good point. That's and a really good thing. VHF and UHF, they get broken down into like low band VHF, high band VHF, low band UHF yep. and high band UHF. Exactly. So I think it's a, a, a good time to talk about what bands exist in UHF and what bands exist in VHF that people might be familiar with. So I think everybody here has heard of uh, GMRS, which is a general mobile radio service. And yep. uh, that, that overlaps with FRS, which is family radio service. You guys want to talk about the difference between the two of those? Well, GMRS is between GMRS, FRS, and uh, MERS, if we're including that in this uh, in this topic. GMRS is the only one that requires technically requires a license. Basically, the benefits with getting that license is you get the ability to use the higher higher power outputs on whatever radio you're using, where FRS is, I think, at most limited to 2 watts, and in some cases only half a watt. I think it's half a watt. Yeah, I think it's channel dependent. Yeah, I think with uh, GMRS, you can do 50 watts on a base station, but there's only certain GMRS frequencies that are allocated for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right there. And we mentioned it last on the uh, on the last podcast. I think uh, you know uh, Civil mentioned it, but GMRS. Uh, I think it was you said 2017. The FCC merged the GMRS and the FRS bands into one. So now those frequencies are all kind of shared amongst each other. Some of them are shared, whereas GMRS gets a couple of more uh, channels that are usually allocated for. Uh, repeater input and outputs and uh, higher power usage. So let's talk a little bit about FRS. I know um, that's going to be very applicable to anybody who's got a radio that came from Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's or Walmart or Academy or wherever you get one of those little cheap dinky, you know, two pack radios for $25. What can y'all tell me about With FRS? A 25 mile range. <laughs> so they say. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so they say. So if you if you're seeing that range number on that packaging, that's based off of as if these two radios exist in a vacuum, and there's absolutely nothing that exists between them. Like that's the farthest that they could possibly transmit with half a watt. And re- yeah, like nothing but air. Yeah, realistically speaking, you're not going to see that 25 mile radius. No, absolutely not. I've used FRS radios a good bit. Um, back in the day, buddies and I like hiking around in the woods and stuff. And honestly, like out in the mountains and in the woods with uh, with one of those FRS radios, like a mile at absolute best in my experience. Yeah. And part of that is the the FCC requirement for FRS radios, those little teeny, you know, one through 29 channel radios that you can buy. I think the maximum output power that those things are capable of per FCC rules is half a watt, which is not much at all. Almost nothing. Yeah, pretty much nothing. Yeah, it's very weak. And it's worth noting that FRS, since it's merged with GMRS, that exists in the UHF band, in the uh, 70 centimeter band. Yep. And then we that that leads us into MERS, which is a multiple use radio service. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, MERS is the VHF version of FRS. 
And so where FRS has like 29 frequencies that you can use, MERS has a whopping five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's like, I think that's right. And uh, uh, some of them are, a lot of them are allocated for uh, business use. I think like Walmart is still using one of the MERS frequencies. Uh, Target and other places like that use like a lot of MERS radios most of the time too. And there are MERS frequencies because they got like the blue dot and the red dot. And the, the blue dot and red dot are intended to be identified by color, not by channel number. So you can buy a, a MERS radio and you just turn it. Oh, this is the blue channel. This is the red channel. Cool. They kind of made it idiot yeah. proof by doing that. But there's gold dot and I believe there's a brown dot. I need to go look at the, the MERS list. Yeah, I think yeah. you get think you outside right. of blue dot and red dot. Those those dot channels are reserved specifically for business use only and you do have to have a license for using MERS on the business frequencies yeah i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure about that i mean well really i'm not sure it, it seems like if there's a crossover between the MERS band and business licenses i i was under the impression that the MERS frequencies are license free by design so i think most like you can even go on amazon and you can buy balfangs that were specifically designed for the MERS frequencies like that's what they were programmed for i am not thinking of the words i'm trying to say i was trying to think i'm i'm pretty sure even for business i don't think you need a license to run on the MERS. uh i was going to look it up real quick i think that's what i was trying to get at like I'm like 99% sure that my like local Walmart is just running like MERS radios. Well, they probably are. I'm sure mine is too. Yeah, I know there's companies like uh, Redivis. You can go to like uh, the Chick-fil-A drive-through, and, you, and uh, those are typically MERS frequency radios, uh, business class only. I think uh, Radioity does the same thing. They have uh, a MERS class radio, and it's kind of intended for business use. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've seen some of those. Yeah, I think I know which Redivisu radios you're talking about. Google Google is telling me that Walmart typically runs on MERS Channel 5, which I think is the purple dot. <laughs> they probably shouldn't make that info public. So if you're listening and you want to go harass a Walmart employee, <laughs> go get your thing and unlock it oh, and dude. get the MERS frequencies and go post up in your Walmart parking lot and get on there and start calling for help on aisle six. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, all employees, all employees go wrangle carts, all employees. <laughs> dude, I think there's actually, I've seen a video of a dude on like, you know, like Instagram reels who, who basically did that, who pulled up at a Walmart and, and, you know, put his put his Balfang on their frequency and just started fucking with them. <laughs> uh, Sally, can you come to Wait, HR, please? You're fired. We need to talk. Turn in your turn in your badge. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really funny. I think a good thing to note, though, as far as uh, uh, VHF and UHF on handheld radios. Uh, you know, I previously mentioned that. The, you know, VHF runs from, you know, 300 or 30 to 300 megahertz. And as Andy was saying, they typically subdivide that into VHF low band and then VHF high band. I believe low band is like 30 to 150. And then 
or and it might be less than that. It might be 30 to like 100. And then, you know, high band is, is above that. I forget exactly. Same thing for UHF, something like, you know, 300 to 400 is UHF low band and then 400 to like 900 or something like that is high band. I forget exactly. But typically, as far as speaking with uh, handheld radios or HTs, like your Balfangs, a lot of the, the Motorola's that you can pick up on the surplus market, whether they're the XTS line or XPR line radios, are typically going to run, I believe, the VHF radios, uh, or even on the Anytones and things like that. The VHF band, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's 136 to 174. And then UHF is usually like 400 to 512 on handheld radios. Yeah, those are typically VHF high and UHF low, respectively. So uh, VHF low, like we were saying, that's generally going to run from about 30 to like 50 or 60 megahertz. VHF high, like okay. you just said, is 136 to 174. Then you've got UHF low, which I think technically runs from about... 380 to I want to say 520 and then UHF high is going to be getting into your like 700 800 900 if you're you're new to radio and you're hearing all these numbers thrown out there I'm sure you're super confused right now which is okay but I would encourage you to go look at the the band plan you can find it on like a a double rl or a qrz or if you can figure it out like we mentioned in the last podcast the fcc website you can get a breakdown chart of the vhf and uhf bands and it kind of shows you like little blocks of allocated frequencies that are for different purposes and what the the broad spectrum of frequencies and and where they're delineated in those bands and yeah. uh, and, and it, it's worth studying because you should never just buy a radio and turn it on and punch in a random frequency and start using it on that frequency. Because there there are frequency blocks out there that are dedicated for certain purposes. And you could be interfering with, in, in VHF, you can be interfer- in, interfering with uh, aircraft communications. The aircraft communications are low band VHF analog. There, there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is uh, airband VHF, you know, you're guaranteed line of sight because you have an aircraft in the sky and you have a tower on the ground and there's nothing obstructing that line of sight. So you're going to have the best yeah, exactly. possible line of sight characteristics of your radio wave. Your, your signal path's going to be unobstructed. So you're going to get maximum efficiency out of it. Yeah. Yep. I actually had it written down here. Uh, 108 to 118 megahertz is the uh, airband navigation frequencies where they have uh, beacons set up that talk to and, you know, from the airplanes that give the uh, airplane basically like their positioning and things. And then you have uh, 118 to 137 is going to be your airband, like air traffic control. Also, they use uh, amplitude AM modulation. So amplitude uh, amplitude modulation instead of uh, frequency modulation FM. Yeah, that's a good point. Most, uh, pr- well, pretty much all handheld radios it, outside of airband are going to be frequency modulation. So your your Baofeng, uh, most of your digital radios are going to be digital over FM, and there's there's a di- there's a there's a drastic difference between AM and FM. You know, I think a good uh, a good reference for that is go look at your your car stereo. Tune into AM radio and tune into FM radio and and observe the differences. You know, AM radio, you hear a lot more noise over the radio 
than you do on FM. FM sounds a lot more clear. FM radio is where you're going to get your music and stuff like that. AM radio is going to where is where you're going to get your talk radio and and that sort of content. That's that's worth noting on uh, UHF and VHF as well. Is you're going to get better audio quality out of UHF than you are VHF, just like you will out of AM and FM. But the, the caveat to that is UHF, you're going to have a whole lot more noise interference. So so your signal can be disrupted a whole lot easier, uh, more so than than VHF. And kind of how that plays out in the, in the long run of things is VHF, you're going to notice you're going to get a lot more range out of it, depending on your line of sight characteristics, than you are VHF. Oh, sorry, UHF. Uh, so VHF is going to go further and get better range. Uh, UHF is going to be shorter, but better quality. And there, there's a few other things to consider, like uh, UHF, since it's a shorter wavelength, it's going to have better uh, penetrating capabilities in an urban environment. Uh, your signal is going to travel through brick walls and through the city structure uh, a whole lot better than a VHF signal will. Yeah, exactly. Versus if you're using VHF in a rural setting where you have, where you, if you don't have, as long as you don't have uh, mountains and hills blocking your signal, um, your signal is is going to propagate very, very well. Um, and that, that's the reason why a lot of ham radio repeaters are on VHF. Uh, you can get very long range shots on VHF. Yeah. I mean, I just did 30 miles the other day over water. VHF is going to work so well over water that uh, that's the reason why the Marine bands are uh, all VHF. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like you said, that's why, uh, that's why Marine radio is VHF because it, it travels uh, very efficiently over, over water. And from what I understand can even uh, bend somewhat with the curvature of the earth as it travels over the water surface. So you can even extend to like kind of beyond line of sight, even though the horizon might be in the way, it might still uh, get to where it needs to go. Yeah, I've um, I've read the same thing and I haven't tested the limits of VHF, but I understand that the VHF signal can slightly bend beyond the horizon. So, you know, you go several miles out to where you're receiving versus transmitting antennas are uh, on opposing ends of the horizon. That signal will will arc over the horizon and reach its destination, which is super fascinating. Yeah, that is that is super cool. I mean, HF ground wave propagation like kind of does the same thing. Or I mean, I would imagine that as you go lower in frequency, like low band VHF, if you know marine radios did that, it would work even better. Because as as far as my understanding of RF propagation, the the ground wave propagation. Uh, will the lower the frequency will contour over over basically smooth earth or perfect earth it will it'll it'll contour to the curvature uh better than higher frequencies will right right and if you think about water right so ocean is is the prime example it's highly conductive it, yeah it's conductive water kind of acts as a reflector right so any signal is gonna it's gonna kind of hit the water and the water is either going to absorb or reflect the signal. So the fact that VHF can kind of bend a little bit and that water is reflective, it's kind of the optimal medium to use a radio signal in. It, it's it's yeah. as close to using radio in a vacuum as you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. Which I was actually, I wasn't even like out on a boat when I pulled that off. I was uh, in my truck, which is my Magmount antenna. I was just pushing six watts and I was by, um, I was actually next to a, a bridge with a large uh, intercoastal 
waterway that basically kind of runs east to west. And I was at the very far uh, east side of this intercoastal waterway and then was uh, transmitting down it and was able to make a contact over 30 miles away. And I mean, he, he came back to me. Great signal reports on both ends. And like I said, I think he was pushing probably 50 or 60 watts, something like that. And I was just pushing six, but super clear communications on both sides. Yeah, that's it was awesome. about the same for me. The first time I made a contact over uh, over radio it was on that same camping trip I was talking about earlier. But I before we went out, I had mapped out all the different places around this area where we camped because I just took this five watt radio at best out into the woods, and I was trying to figure out, okay, where am I going to get the best line of sight to hit these different repeaters? So I was out sitting at this um, basically like a helicopter landing pad out at this uh, dam for the reservoir out there. And the first guy I talked to on the uh, on the repeater I keyed into, he said, oh, yeah, if you're out there, you're probably using the reservoir as a good ground plane. That's really helping bounce your signal out there. So at the time, I really had no idea what that meant. I just kind of got through the test as quick as I could and passed it. There you go. So I think it's worth noting that a good rule of thumb to follow is if you're in a rural area and you don't have hills or mountains or dense forest, VHF is going to be the band that you want to go with. I should say, if you're going to be in an urban setting, uh, which most of us are going to live in an urban setting, uh, you're going to want to go with UHF. And one of the characteristics of the UHF signal is it has the capability of penetrating obstacles a whole lot better because the wavelength is smaller. So UHF can penetrate brick, um, wood, anything that's not reflective like metal or glass, a whole lot better. So using uh, UHF signals in the city it is gonna is gonna be what you want to choose. Um, you're gonna make you're gonna have a better signal than you will with VHF. That's it's kind of a good rule of thumb that I follow and and I kind of share with uh, the guys that I teach radio to and and it's like hey if if especially here in Texas uh, because rural Texas is not mostly not forested in, unless you're in East Texas. Most of Texas is flat and open and plains and minimal trees. So it's like, hey, go VHF. Your, your signal's going to get through it just fine, and you're going to get a longer contact out of it. Your signal propagation characteristics are going to behave better in that environment. Versus, versus if you're going to be in the city, you want to go UHF because you need, you're going to need a signal that's going to be able to penetrate obstacles better. And the same thing goes if, if you're going to be in a rural area and there's a lot of trees and forested area, you're going to want to go UHF because that UHF signal is going to penetrate those trees better. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's kind of like the yeah. general rule of thumb that just kind of seems to come with radios. And I mean, this this topic of propagation, it's kind of one of those things that it's like everything works great on paper. And you can really research this until your head spins. But until you really get out there and start testing everything, it whatever paper says doesn't really mean anything. Because I, I kind of ran into that same thing. And... I think, um, I think, Jake, I think one of the questions you got on Instagram for the show was kind of talking about the results that I got from my specific tests in my area. And my stuff didn't really seem to reflect that because kind of everything I knew about radio kind of told me that, you know, where I live, VHF should be the answer because it's kind of a mix of like very, very mild urban with with a lot of rural around me like to the north of me there's just like open farmland very very minimal hills not a whole lot of trees that kind of says that vhf should dominate really then to the south of me is a little bit 
more urban. There's really nothing more than like two-story buildings out that direction. But just in my own testing, it was, I mean, it caught me completely off guard. Like when I was, when I was testing using four watts of UHF out of my Anytone, I was able to get like 10 or 10 and a half miles away. I still got a very clear readable signal where VHF, I only got three and a half miles in any direction. It was, it was strange. Like it should not have worked that way. I've noticed the same thing doing some testing of my own. So I got a couple radios and every once in a while I'll uh, turn one on and leave it in my garage and put uh, an audio recorder next to it. I'll go drive around the neighborhood and, and make, test contacts to that radio just to kind of see like okay what's it going to do on this band at x power and with whatever antenna on it and um there's been some times where vhf in an urban setting has way outperformed uhf which according to the theory is not supposed to happen but it does and it's, it's kind of an anomaly it's quite bizarre it's interesting. i haven't done i haven't done a ton of testing in other than around the area where I currently live, which is kind of a suburban um, area, which, you know, like you were saying, kind of like one, two, maybe like three story buildings for the most part, nothing too built up, a decent amount of vegetation because it's Florida and you can't beat that stuff. Uh, I run VHF, uh, Motorola VHF radios, and I've had very good experiences just running VHF in a suburban, you know, kind of, op, you know, area of operation where, uh, for, for instance, it was actually just a few weeks ago, cell service was down in like the south side of the county where I live. Wi-Fi was still on and I was on my way home from work and I was trying to call my fiance and the call wasn't going through and she texted me and she was like, hey, you know, the cell tower is down, calls aren't coming through, you know. And I was like, okay. And I messaged her back real quick. I was like, hey, go grab that radio that I showed you, you know, out of the room, turn it on. It should be set to this channel. I uh, just leave it set to, to default to a, a certain channel. And uh, I told her to, you know, go ahead and just keep that on, turn up the volume some and leave it there, you know, in the room next to you. And when I get to town, I'm going to try and get you on, uh, on my radio. So, and you know, like I said before, I'm just running a mag mount antenna. Uh, Motorola, you know, XTS 5000, six watts VHF through the antenna on the roof of my truck. And I was able to get her through a suburban environment, like four, five, six miles away from the other side of town. Like no problem. I probably could have hit her up when I was still eight or 10 miles away. That's pretty great, man. Then that's all on VHF. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's her with a radio inside the house too. And I was able to hear her. No problem. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's good to know. And for anybody listening, about the piss poorest environment you could put vhf in <laughs> yeah no kidding and i would encourage Which anybody very interesting because go, go grab a buddy and go test this stuff yourself you're yeah, not depending on yeah. anything you read or hear online go out and test it for yourself because what we're saying really doesn't mean anything for the area that you live in right there's, there's, yeah i mean science, everything all the way down to soil composition can change how your your radio waves will propagate Right. And, and the, the science, the theory of it says one thing, but the, the practicality of it is a totally different thing. Yeah. The, the best explanation I've been able to come up with as compared to VHF works better in rural environments is VHF works better with an unobstructed line of sight. So where I can only get, 
three and a half miles VHF where I live. From inside my house, there's a repeater that's about 8,000 feet up in the air, up on top of a mountain that's 75 miles away. And I can get into that repeater with my Anytone with a stock antenna from inside my house. But I can't get more than three and a half miles doing simplex with an antenna on, or with a radio on my back porch and just a mag mount antenna on my pickup. So you kind of have to decide kind of what your setup is going to be. Are you using, are you working more portable? Are you doing fixed stations with higher antennas? All of that kind of plays into what band you're going to choose to accomplish what. Yeah, exactly. I should do some more testing with UHF in my general area and see if it outperforms the VHF. But I haven't felt the need to because the VHF performs in my area very well. Yeah, I really hadn't felt the need to test that up until recently either because I was looking into getting into either P25 radios or higher end DMR radios. And when you're looking at those, you're looking at either you're looking at either a single band radio or you're looking at spending upwards of $4,000 for an Apex 8000 to get multi-band. Yep. So honestly, I was looking at all the standard stuff. I was looking at the Motorola XTS line. I was looking at the EF Johnson. So I was trying to figure out, you know, really which one is the best choice to go because everything I told me or everything I knew told me VHF was going to be the best way to go. But when I was looking, all of the... Um, all the UHF equipment, there was a lot more of it on the market. It tended to be a lot more affordable. So that, that's kind of why I decided to test it. And in my tests, it, it was weird. Like UHF blew, v, UHF blew VHF out of the water. And even in, even in signal quality too, like just the, the audio that I heard over UHF was much cleaner, much easier to copy as compared to VHF. It was just a much clearer signal, much stronger signal. It's interesting you say that. So one notable difference between UHF and VHF is you're going to get a greater bandwidth out of UHF than you are VHF. And that just has to do with the characteristics of the wavelength. So with a greater bandwidth, that means that signal can occupy a greater footprint on the band. Um, you, you can transmit and receive more data or, or more, I guess, I don't know, how, how, how would you describe bandwidth? Is, is there a better way to describe it? Well, I'm not sure bandwidth is necessarily the best way to describe that because you, yeah, I don't when you so start either. talking about bandwidth, you've got wideband or narrowband typically for VHF and UHF radios, wideband being a 25 kilohertz wide signal where narrowband is 12 and a half. So that's, it's, the signals are going to occupy the same space, but I think where the difference comes in is kind of the amount of waves that you're getting in the same relative space, and that that amount of waves being the difference in the amount of data or information, whatever you want to call it, able to be carried in that amount of space. So if you've got, going back to kind of an earlier topic about actual wavelength itself, two meters for VHF and 70 centimeters for UHF is kind of a good way to look at it. You're getting almost three full waves out of UHF in the same amount of space that one wave of VHF takes up. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think what uh, Sentinel was trying to say, I don't like a, like Andy said, I don't think bandwidth is the correct maybe verbiage or terminology to use for that. But uh, a basic rule of thumb is, is as frequency increases, data rate also increases. Yes. So the amount of information that a that a carrier is is able to to carry in a certain amount of time 
increases as frequency increases and that's why we're seeing the whole thing uh you know you know it, when you relate to like wi-fi or cell service everything was you know 2.4g or 3g and now we're going up to you know 4g 5g and stuff like that and that's because the amount of data and the speeds that are achievable uh, only go up as frequency increases. So, you know, streaming HD video and things, things that are very data heavy are obviously going to work way better on like a 4G than a 3G. And then also, as I said earlier, though, as frequency increases, your line of your, your line of sight dependence also increases. And that's why we see, I, th I think we talked about in the last uh, episode, was, you know, traditional like 3G and 4G towers are very widespread. They're large towers. They're miles and miles apart and they have fairly large coverage areas. But now this new like 5G stuff, you have to put one a, a 5G, you know, transmitter and receiver every like few blocks on top of telephone poles and things. Yeah, and I want to say um, I want to say one of it was one of Comms and Logistics posts where he kind of covered some of the differences in the bands and I think he even had depictions of different environments that the different bands performed well in. And I want to say the UHF high band, like we were talking about, 7, 8, 900 megahertz, this was saying that um, it kind of worked better in much more, what's what I'm looking for, like built up areas. If you have taller buildings, you start seeing more what's called multipath with that, where the signal actually starts bouncing off of buildings like metal and glass like we were talking about earlier but they're still dependent on having these other nodes in places where it can help receive that signal and that's that's a whole different topic that we could could get into as far as uh like law enforcement or public safety systems yeah exactly that is uh that's a good point you know like sentinel was saying how in an urban area um uhf has the ability just due to the proper to the uh, to the characteristics of the wavelength has the ability to um, like punch through uh, materials like you know concrete and things better than say like VHF or VHF is actually going to most of the time like bounce off of those kinds of materials and uh, there's actually a really cool thing about VHF where if you start getting pretty skilled is you can actually use mountainsides water towers other large metallic or or dense objects and you can actually reflect your vhf energy off of those things in order to complete a communication also you could do the same thing if you stood in a downtown alley and you've got tall buildings on either side of you 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 can control your signal emissions to be directed in a single direction yeah you could basically use your environment to direct your signals to an extent yeah there's really kinds of all kinds of different stuff you can get into and honestly i kind of feel like researching propagation gets a little bit difficult at times because if you if you just get on google if you get on youtube trying to look up information on how different signals propagate you're going to run into a lot more stuff from the amateur community than you will from like our kind of community and i was watching a video the other day and it was a presentation on these different kinds of vhf propagation you can get and uh, the guy, the guy giving the presentation, he was he was a ham radio guy giving the presentation to a ham radio club, and the quote that he said that really stood out to me was that professional radio engineers are interested in stuff that works, where amateurs are into stuff that's different. 
So if you start trying to look up stuff for propagation on these different bands, especially VHF, you're going to run into stuff like sporadic E or meteor scatter or bouncing your signal off the moon. Yep. Like that's, yep. <laughs> that's not necessarily stuff that we're interested in. We're interested in the stuff that kind of works. Like, how can I know for sure I'm going to turn on my radio and I'm going to be able to talk to this person every single time? Yeah. Exactly. Do y'all hear that dog barking in the background of my microphone? Kind of faintly. <laughs> it's not too bad. It's there. It's not that distracting. Gotta love your neighbors, right? Dude, my dogs bark all the time. Oh, I'm yeah. surprised we haven't heard them once so far. I got a neighbor across the street whose dog is incessant, bro. I know how that goes. Sometimes I don't know how it can bark for that long. Just call there the ATF. <laughs> <laughs> Duct tape a... A pistol brace to that dog's tail. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> By the way. Be a man. Put a stock on it. Total rabbit trail. If you have a pistol brace, do not fall for the trap of going to uh, get a, a, a free registration on your pistol brace. Don't do it. Just keep that shit in a fucking safe like everybody else. I won't say too much more other than I think we saw the same kind of thing happen in 1930s Germany. And I'll probably yeah. leave it at that. That's a good that's a good point to leave it at. Yeah. Well, I guess we're, we're a comms podcast, yeah. okay? Let's let's shit on the FCC. I'm I mean, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be all for shitting on whoever in another show, but <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty of people who deserve it. Uh, yeah, no. Um, I think uh, I think you know where we were going was 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 uh, was pretty good as far as uh, you know the characteristics and everything, and just get out there with some radios. I don't even care if they're bow fangs, and and figure out what works the best in your area because depending on the route you choose to upgrade from your bow fang, you're gonna have to you may have to choose a specific band of operation. You know, you're probably going to want to pick the one that works the best. Uh, don't think that, you know, running VHF in a urban area is going to be like a way of reducing your uh, your signal uh, to someone who may be listening in because you think that it doesn't propagate as well. Because contrary to what you may think, like uh, like I mentioned before, in an urban area, that VHF signal might actually bounce around a lot, even if you're running low power and may go places where you don't want it to go or you don't realize it's going. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you are probably actually just reducing your uh, your receiving party's uh, signal strength of, of your transmission to where it may even be illegible. Yeah, that's a good point. If you get anything, if you get anything out of this show, it's Go out and test what you've got and see what works. Like, that is really the only thing I'll suggest a Baofeng for is if you're the first one in your area that's getting into radios, get that so you can test both VHF and UHF, find out which one works better, and move forward from there. Absolutely. And that's a very good point. There was a, a post from somebody in the gun community recently that is is pretty new to radio, and they were talking about... Um, what you can do to for for MCON or emissions control is what we call it MCON, um, and MCON is a big part of offset and uh, it, it controlling your emissions control um, and lower your RF footprint. 
and make you less detectable. Um, and what this person said was, uh, if you use VHF in a uh, urban area, your your emissions are going to be a whole lot less than if you used UHF. Which I can see the logic behind that, except for the person who said this doesn't quite understand the characteristics of signal and signal science. And so where, where the problem lies there is if you use VHF in an urban environment to for, for, for emissions control purposes, what, what you're going to have is you're going to have a signal that's going to be bouncing all over the place and eventually going straight up. And that signal is going to be highly detectable. Versus uh, if you use UHF like you're supposed to, according to theory, in an urban environment, you're going to have a signal that's capable of doing what it's supposed to do in that environment. And um, really the the correct um, approach there is you want to use the signal that you're supposed to use according to theory in the environment that you're intended to operate in. The correct way to control your emissions is turn your power down. It's it's not to switch yes. band. Um, yeah, lowest power cape possible and uh, and the shortest transmissions possible. Right, that's right. not something that comes from just the tactical community or the gun community, but that's technically the rule of thumb even in the amateur community is you only need to use the amount of power that's the minimum about minimum amount required to complete the contact right and, and according to the yeah. theory if if you flip-flopped it if if vhf is not supposed to work in an urban environment as well as uhf and you choose vhf to control your emissions control that doesn't achieve the intended purpose and here's why you still want to have an efficient signal in the AO that you're operating in. Switching bands, you're not going to have an efficient signal. Uh, So you still want to have an efficient signal. You just want to knock your power down so that signal doesn't have as wide of a footprint as it's going to have. You want to minimize your footprint. So you want to have an efficient signal, but you want to minimize your footprint. So it's it's a little bit counterintuitive and it's a little bit uninformed and it's an easy mistake to make. For, For anybody who doesn't understand signal, you you want to follow the theory as close as possible. Really what we've been talking about before this is kind of like what you can get maximum efficiency and maximum range in. And there's a time and a place for that. But really what you want is maximum efficiency. And you can control your range by knocking down your power. But just because you switch bands, you you don't want to have a shitty signal in an urban environment on low power. You want to have an efficient signal in low power in an urban environment. And there's a there's there's a big difference to that. What yeah, do you guys think about that? Say this yeah. band works better than the other to control your emissions. That's not the right way to go at all. There's actual other steps you're supposed to take, like transmitting on low power, choosing your antenna differently, because different antennas are going to accomplish different tasks. So just trying to say this band will work for emissions control in this area. That's that's not a thing. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's. Not only counterintuitive, this counterproductive. Yeah. Like there's, there's, no, you don't choose your band to control your emissions. You you choose your power output. Power and I think like Andy was saying, uh, antenna configuration. There's um, which I think was something we were going to get into uh, tonight too. Is um, how different antennas perform, and you know there's antennas that always uh are boasting about like decibels uh decibels increase over a a stock antenna or or something like that but there's also uh antennas that can even help you lower your power even farther 
beyond what like your radio's like low power is capable of. I don't necessarily know about lowering power itself. That might be the thing that immediately comes to mind for me with that is maybe even having a an antenna that's mismatched for the frequency you're trying to use. But there are times It's kinda of what I was talking about. Go ahead. No no no, keep keep going. I mean that's kinda of okay. what I was referencing. Um like with um when you get into different bands, different frequencies, you can you have different antenna lengths that you're working with, and there will be specific ways that you can reference those different lengths. But essentially with, uh, with UHF antennas, you can get significantly shorter and still have effective antennas. If you're reducing your antenna size, you're going to be essentially reducing your range. For example, like that Hytera I got, it came with a, it came with a fairly short antenna. And that can't receive signals near as well as the stock antenna on my Anytone. So that's something I'm trying to account for. But that's kind of also a benefit to going with UHF is you're able to use a shorter antenna. It doesn't take up as much space. Like you're probably not going to get poked as much if you have that on a chest rig or plate carrier or whatever. But there's the, the antenna itself comes into play a lot as far as managing your emissions even down to using a directional antenna like different antennas different antennas have different footprints and like you were talking about different decibel ratings on them that's referring to gain different amounts of gain are going to have different footprints so without yeah yeah exactly yeah, so I let's get like into our uh, here <laughs> let's get into the question and answer segment of the podcast yeah what does it do it and, and this is in direct correlation to what we've just been talking to. Uh, one of the questions I got was, how does a quarter wave and a five-eighths wave uh, wavelength antenna trajectory differ? To answer this question, we really need to talk about gain. Gain is really how efficient your signal is, is output. Yeah. So a shorter yeah. wavelength antenna is going to have less gain than a higher, a, a, a larger antenna. So a, a short antenna is going to be lower gain. Uh, a longer antenna is going to be higher gain. And so the difference between shorter gain and higher gain is uh, efficiency. And um, part of that efficiency is your antenna takeoff angle. This really gets into the technical side of things, but... Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it starts getting pretty technical pretty fast. It, it, all, it really kinds of, all kinds of different charts you can look at that show the radiation patterns of different antennas. And I still get confused looking at all of them. Like, I can look at one and I... I still have no idea what it means. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally so, get that. If, if um, by, by go, my, go ahead, Tito. Okay. I was going to say, um, by my understanding, as far as when you're talking about, um, you know, we're, we're, I think we're still mostly talking about HTs here and like standard whip antennas or vertical, you know, antennas, um, on your handheld radios. And by my understanding, the 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 longer the antenna you get uh whether that's you know typically i think a lot of radios come with either eighth wave or quarter wave antennas uh like your baofengs and things like that um and then you can get half wave you can get five eighths wave and then a little less common but still available is like three quarter wave antennas and um, for the most part, as you go from like a quarter to a, a half to a five-eighths wave, you're basically focusing that RF energy in a more horizontal um, fashion, essentially. Uh, so 
like your five-eighths wave antennas, if you can imagine a cone coming perpendicular off of, you know, your HT's antenna, as you go up in wavelength to like a half wave or, or five-eighths wave antenna, that cone of radiation is basically tightening into, you know, the, the horizontal plane. Yeah, kind of the, I think the best way I've heard it described, kind of going along with the uh, with the cone there is, if you take like a, like a, perfect omnidirectional antenna kind of like some of the stuff we would see on most of the handhelds we're working with nowadays um the radiation pattern you'll get off of that is kind of like a donut so it's from the antenna it's going up it's going down and it's going out at a certain distance now as you start uh yeah as you start getting a longer antenna increasing the increasing from like eighth wave quarter wave half wave you start flattening out that donut. So you're extending the range, basically, that that antenna is going on a horizontal path, but you're also shortening kind of the up and down trajectory of that antenna. So it, yeah. having a longer antenna doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to accomplish what you're looking to do. So if you're, if you're running like a 5 8 wave or a three-quarter wave antenna and you've got that up high and the person you're trying to talk to is only a couple miles away, your signal might be completely overshooting them, and you're you might be exactly. going right over their head. So, kind of having to fig- again, it's coming down to figuring out what are you trying to accomplish. You need to choose your antenna based on that. So, if you've got, if you're trying to talk from one tower that's 100 feet up over here, and another tower that's 200 feet up over here, that's going to be different than just two people talking a few miles apart. Yeah. Yeah, especially if, if you're putting if you, if you take uh, drastic elevation changes yeah. into that. Now, like you said, if you're using a, an antenna with a with a very high gain, something like a maybe some five eighths wave um, antennas, you actually your your RF energy might actually be overshooting them, and not uh, not that you don't have the range to complete the the communication. It's that your propagation characteristics are literally not. But like you're you're just like shooting like like I said you're shooting right over their head essentially. I think yeah, a I mean, good rule of thumb to follow is if the, uh, so everybody out there has seen the um, the Aubrey antennas the tactical antennas that fold over and the Nagoya yeah. whip antennas oh yeah and then you got your stock antennas so that's good that's going to be the three types of antennas that most people are common with. Um, so a, a good thing to consider there is, you know, the longer your antenna, the more efficient your signal is going to be. And that means the flatter your signal is going to be. So, but you need to consider your your area of operation. So if if you want to con- if you want to communicate with people up on a hillside that are around you, a stock antenna is probably going to be better. But if you want to con- if you want to communicate yeah. out at distance, uh, a longer antenna like the nagoya 771 antenna or one of those uh tactical folding antennas that's that's going to be something that you're going to be wanting and this is getting really technical but understanding your antennas and and what they do is is a key part of being an efficient communicator yeah Yeah, in a lot of cases the factory antenna that comes with whatever radio radio you buy that's going to be your most efficient antenna for typical everyday use because you don't necessarily yeah, exactly. need a longer width antenna if you're just trying to talk, you know, a couple miles away. But there's also a lot that can be gained from 
when you get in your vehicle, take your radio out, take the stock antenna off and connect to a mag mount up on the roof, you're gaining a lot there. Exactly. That's a very good point. Um, yeah. And very much in line with that, you, you need to take into consideration how efficient is your stock antenna because not all in stock antennas are cre- created equal. Some stock antennas are highly efficient. Some stock antennas are trash. Yeah. Um, well, I think that var- that varies pretty. Um, you know, I think we mentioned it on the on the last episode. Some of the little Balfang, you know, antennas that come on those radios are are actually engineered or built like very well, very well tuned. Some of them are hot garbage. Yeah, like um, like I was saying, between my Hytera and my Anytone, the antenna that came with the Anytone is much much better overall than the antenna that came with the Hytera. With the antenna from the Anytone, I can hear, because I, I work in a separate county from where I live right now, and with the antenna on the Anytone, I can hear the UHF traffic from the Sheriff's Department from the opposite county very easily, very clearly, with stock antenna inside my pickup. But if I'm running the Hytera with its factory antenna, it's much more staticky, much more noisy. It's a lot harder to copy. So the right antenna plays a lot into your choice as far as range and your capabilities go like you have to decide do i need the longer antenna do is that is that really what are the words i'm looking for here like is that actually something i need or is this shorter antenna that came from the factory going to get the job done for what i'm looking for is it efficient yeah 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 and is it efficient is a is a is another uh talking point um about how um, antenna efficiency is actually measured as far as uh, the SWR or what's called the the standing wave ratio, which is basically a measure of uh, the efficiency of your antenna using a special machine like a like a watt meter or something like that. Or you can actually get what's called an SWR meter and you could put your antenna on it and hook it up to this device and set the frequency range that you want to test. And it will tell you if this antenna actually is operating efficiently at those frequencies or not. Right, that's a very good point. You need to check your antennas based on the frequency range that you want to operate in uh, because it, it does matter. Yeah, I need to get an I need to get an SWR meter too. You're saying you have one, right? Yeah, I've got one. I've got a, um, I forget the brand. Nice. It was about $60 on Amazon. It's a little uh, SMA connector antenna. It's good up to 10 watts output and you can plug it into the top of your radio and then plug your antenna in on top of it and press your PTT and it'll tell you what your SWR is. Very nice. Uh, it's, a, it's, a good, it's, it's a good way to check your factory antennas. If you don't know what SWR is, that's uh, that's your reflected radiation. So once you push your PTT, RF radiation is going to emit from your radio through your antenna out into open space. And, but not all that energy is going to go out into space. Some of that energy is going to reflect back into your radio. And that re- energy reflected yeah. into your radio can cause electronics damage inside of your radio. So for every one unit of radiation that goes out your antenna, you want it to go out. Um, So if you have one unit of electronic, or if you have one unit of RF going out of your radio, you want to have one unit of RF going out of your antenna. That's going to be your most efficiency. Yeah, that would be an SWR of one to one. If you have... But that's actually very hard. very hard to achieve. And it's not common either. Especially with weapons. Yeah, Yeah, so SWR standing for standing wave ratio, which 
you can look into that as much as you want, but that's basically going to be the lower the SWR you can get, the better. But basically, say say if you yeah. say if you take a uh, an antenna that's specifically designed for the VHF band, and you stick that on a UHF radio, with that antenna being mismatched to those frequencies, you might still get some kind of efficiency out of it. But because it's not the right length for that band, a lot of that power that doesn't that isn't able to correctly radiate out of that antenna that's going to bounce back into your radio so you might also hear a lot of times if you hit a a good example is is if you have one unit of rf radiation leaving your radio and uh you only have one quarter of that leaving the antenna that leaves three parts of that radiation reflecting back into your radio which will cause electronics damage yeah and and you'll have an inefficient signal. So your your SWR meter will will read one to four. Kind of the threshold for what's acceptable is uh, one to two. Yeah. If it's one to two and below, you're good. You're good to go. If it's above one to two, don't don't use that antenna. Throw it in the trash. Yeah. Well, is it like a one to two? Fifty percent of the RF is coming back Correct. into the radio, right? Yeah. And then anything more than that, it's even. Um, it's even more, um, which is kind of what I was talking about earlier, as far as uh, kind of controlling your emissions is you could theoretically, I've never done this, but you could theoretically use a mitch, a mismatched antenna. And as long as you have a quality radio, you're probably not going to damage it unless you were to just use a like, unless like you said, if your SWR is like a one to four or like worse than that, then you'd probably even brick like a nice radio. But at one to two, if 50% of your um, your RF is being you know fed back and you're pushing one watt, well, now you're pushing a, essentially half a watt through your antenna. And if that's all the power you need to com- complete the communication, well, then you would be effectively controlling your emissions. Is it great to do? Probably not. It's definitely not ideal. Um, but then uh, I think another, another uh, the flip side of that is a good way to go is uh, we were talking about, you know, gain, and I don't think we touched on it yet, but as as your antenna lengthens and you get longer antennas, your gain increases, like we were saying, and then that energy becomes more uh, typically more focused on, in, on a horizontal plane. And a good way to, or a good rule of thumb is every three decibels of gain increase over your stock antenna is actually doubling your your signal. So if you have a 3 dB gain antenna and you're pushing 1 watt, your received signal would actually be similar to as if you were pushing 3 watts out of that radio. Or I'm sorry, not 3, two. it would be 2 watts because every 3 decibels of gain doubles power output. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. so I, I misspoke there. Not 3, it would be, it'd be 2 and, and vice versa. Um, I think a good question here for me i'm curious what kind of antennas are you guys running on your hts and what hts are you running typically so mine mine typically i i have the stock antennas on both of my primary radios my primaries being my anytone 878 and now my hytera pd 782 those i'm just using with factory antennas and like I was saying, the antenna with the Anytone is a lot better also because that one is a dual-band antenna. It's meant to use with VHF and UHF, where the Hytera antenna is just for UHF. So having that longer antenna for VHF gives a lot of benefit using 
UHF frequencies. Okay. Very nice. What about you, Jake? So, um, I'm running DMR radios, and um, something interesting about DMR, the propagation is a lot more efficient than analog. Uh, we can get into that, into that a little bit more in a second, but uh, the, yeah. the stock antenna on these radios is very efficient. Uh, so I've, I've tested it against other stock antennas like the Baofeng radio, and uh, I recently did a test uh, against the stock antenna with a Nagoya 771, which is a quarter wave antenna and um, the stock antenna yeah. in, in some regards outperformed the Nagoya antenna, which is a longer antenna and, and well known to be a high quality antenna. And I was very impressed. Yeah. I have a couple yeah, of those. I've seen that too. Like Jake, I don't so, know if, um, I don't know if the antennas on your B techs are the same, but when I got my antenna for the Anytone out of the box for the first time, it had high gain stamped on the side. And I, I didn't know if that was just like a Chinesium advertisement ploy stamping high gain on the side of the antenna. So I just kind of thought, okay, whatever. But actually using it, it, it did pretty well. Does, uh, does the antennas on the BTEC say the same? Sorry, I got to crack a beer here. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I literally just did the same thing, but I muted my mic. <laughs> So uh, I got I got my BTEC 6X2 in hand here, and on the side of the antenna, yeah, it does say high gain antenna. And um, BTEC is it's it, this is a radio that we use for training purposes here locally. Um, we got people all over the DFW area, uh, and everybody's got one of these radios. And uh, the 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 tests that I've done, well, let me let me talk about that real quick. Actually, so here's what I did: um, I set my computer up on record audio with an external mic and i set it up in my garage and i went and drove around the neighborhood and i tested the stock antenna and an agoya 771 antenna and so i'd go to different points around the neighborhood different intersections uh different high points different low points uh in elevation and i'd stop and and push the push to talk button and say hey testing stock antenna and then i screw on the nagoya testing the 771 antenna and i did that in various points working my way outward uh to a longer range and there there was a threshold that i did reach that the stock antenna outperformed the nagoya 771 which i was very shocked to find out that it did that but then you go out further than that, and there's another threshold that you reach where Nagoya 771 outperforms the stock antenna. So there's like, there's, there's a give and a take there. There's, if, if you want to go super long range, and that's relative, uh, super long range meaning, you know, about two miles out from my house, Nagoya 771 is going to be what you want to use. But any anything closer than that, the stock antenna is what going to be what you want to use. So understanding that antenna science is is, is critical in in being an efficient communicator, and I found that very interesting. Yeah. The other side of that is I tested it both on analog and digital, and something worth noting is digital has way better propagation characteristics than analog does. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of charts that kind of exist out there to show that where. It'll show an analog signal starting off very high at zero and then dropping down pretty rapidly, where with a digital signal, it's fairly flat out to a certain point. And after that certain point, it just drops off. It's basically that certain point where yeah. all of the data and that digital signal is able to be conveyed across, across the carrier wave and back to the receiving radio. 
So you basically, with a digital signal, you basically get the same signal quality as if you were right next to each other without however many miles you're able to go. Yeah, that's about my experience on, as well. on digital. Um, I did this recently. Um, so we have some elevation in the neighborhood. It's not it's not critical elevation. It's like my, my house is on top of a ridge and the low point from the ridge is maybe 30 feet below. So it's 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 nothing critical. But we tested it all on UHF Went to a nearby grocery store, which is a mile and a half away. And and it's in a low point versus uh, the high point that my house is on. And I was able to make contact on digital uh, UHF from the grocery store. But as soon as I switched to analog at the grocery store, I was unable to make contact. And how far away was the grocery store again? Mile and a half. Hmm. Um, Same radio, same antenna? Same radio, same antenna. The difference was analog and digital. So the, the, the difference there is digital propagates better because there's less so there's less data being sent um so there, there's more of a success rate of it reaching its end goal in theory I that, and i think that and the the ability of the receiving radio to differentiate the data packets coming in versus our ear being able to find that voice signal in just the staticky rf noise that we're hearing but on the inverse yeah. of that uh i tested analog signal on VHF in my area and analog signal in an urban populated area with slight elevation and lots of structures did way better than UHF signal did. And that goes against antenna theory. Yeah, it's it's well, it could have been that your VHF was bouncing off of things and still getting to where it needed to go, whereas your UHF was most likely getting absorbed possibly. Right. Yeah, it, it's weird stuff. It's again, it's one of those things. Don't count on what we're saying to be true. Go out and test in your areas to figure out what works. Yeah, you can read all you want about this stuff, and you know, like we've like we've said uh, with you, Andy, you getting out, and and you initially your hypothesis was that VHF was going to be, you know, it was going to reign supreme in your area, whereas for whatever reason, UHF yeah. actually did. Very interesting. So. I have a question. Yeah, that's pretty cool. How many people have we lost? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know how long. Oh, yeah, we're two hours in. We've probably lost a handful, maybe, unless they're unless they're dedicated to becoming the combo. Two hours in, still here. Oh man, that's what it says. Has been two hours, bro. It flies (laughs) by. I thought the same thing for our last episode. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like two and a half hours in, I was like, "Holy shit, you're kidding." Yeah, so no, I think that's this, this stuff, cool, as technical as it is, is also necessary. And um, if you want to be an efficient communicator, it's worth understanding this stuff. So if if we still have you paying attention, kudos to you. Uh, thanks for staying this long. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure uh, a lot of you are going to have a bunch of questions about this stuff. So feel free to reach out to any one of us at any time. And we're happy to help you understand this stuff as best as we can communicate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But the, this, this is a mystery science. It's kind of black magic. There, there's, there's, there's theory versus experience and the two of them don't necessarily line up. Yeah. And it's one of those things when I got started, I, I didn't really know anyone who was doing the same stuff. So a lot of the stuff I had to learn on my own, just through, just through testing and the little research that I really had the, attention span to handle is 
most of the time, like if, if you really start researching into it, there's these studies that you can find online that are almost 200 pages long. And I don't know about anyone else, but I don't have the attention span to read a 200 page study on how UHF propagates in a forest. <laughs> no, I'm better at uh, watching YouTube yeah, videos. I'm much better at watching YouTube videos and even better at just sure. getting out there and trying it. Because that, that's a lot more fun. Like sitting behind a screen and trying to read something, yeah. that's not fun. Going out and actually playing with stuff that you spent money on, I have fun with that. Yeah, I guess I, I didn't get to it yet. Um, on my Motorola XTS radios, most of the time I run the stock Motorola uh, which is just a quarter wave, you know, VHF antenna. And uh, I have a couple of the Smiley antenna 5.8. It's like, I believe they're 5.8 wave um, VHF antennas. And I carry some of those around because being Florida, pretty much mostly flat, pretty wet all the time and very densely wooded in some of the areas that I actually operate in, which you might think is, which it, it on paper is counterintuitive to VHF, but um, I've had very good uh, range results running VHF, even through very densely wooded areas on pretty flat terrain. But if I do ever need a little bit of extra punch, I run that 5 8 wave antenna, which touts a 6 dB uh, gain over a, a stock antenna. And 6 dB doubles my output power twice. So if I'm running 6 watts, now I'm pushing, I mean, what, you're doubling six twice, so you're going 12 to, to 24. And if I ever have trouble completing communication, I throw that 5 eighths wave on, and I can communicate like no problem through the thickest of forests. Yeah, I've kind of seen the, seen the same thing. Like um, going out camping, that was a yearly thing. The next year I went out, I had a... And I mean, once you start throwing higher power output from the radio into the equation, it changes things a lot. Most of the conversation we've been having now has been for uh, portable units like the XTS series or the Anytone or the BTEC 6x2, 878, anything like that. But when you start pushing like 50 watts, it changes things a lot. So I think a lot of this conversation mainly has to do with portables, but... When I went out that next year, I had a 50-watt mobile hooked up in my truck, and that was able to reach over a hill through thick forest down to a repeater easily, where from the same spot the handheld couldn't do it the year before. And something else I want to touch in there with you being in Florida around a lot of waterways and stuff like that, using a VHF radio, you have the benefit of it of also being able to operate on marine bands. So some those radios are going to be on a lot of uh, a lot of boats. That's yeah. that's a big benefit depending on where you're at. If you're around a lot of rivers, coasts, oceans, what have you, you might really want to look into VHF radios for that kind of compatibility. Yeah, that's exactly why I chose VHF for the most part um, was operability with uh, the marine channels. I spend a uh, I do I spend a decent amount of time offshore on boats um not every boat i go out on has an actual radio built into it a lot of them do some of them don't but i at least can have my motorola with all of the critical vhf marine frequencies programmed in a zone and it don't matter if that thing gets wet or even goes for a dunk as long as it doesn't go too deep um, i typically keep it in my bag but if i needed to bust that thing out i can and if i needed to 
um, yeah, I can operate on the uh, on the marine bands. It's actually really fun to monitor the marine bands too. Actually, if you've never done it, but I do live coastal, so yeah, that was a, that played big time into selecting a VHF yeah. radio. Oh. Well, gentlemen, if if anybody is still listening. We is there you. something specific we should ask awesome. them to do in the comments to see how many people actually stuck around? I got really good feedback from the last one, and, and I, I felt like we, we beat some horses to death on the last one, and we got into the weeds a little bit, and we've kind of done the same thing now. But I think that's what people come to podcasts for. And, you know, we're just getting started. Sounds good. Well, I had a great time tonight, guys. Thank you for having me on. Oh, yeah, dude. It was, it was a really yeah. good time. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, absolutely. I hear a Glock. Ah, uh, Glock noises. I'll reload. I loaded mine again, so I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> um, well, everybody, thanks for coming to our podcast. I think uh, Civil kind of made me the co-host, um, at least whenever I can, which is super awesome. I appreciate that a whole lot. Uh who what? said we were experts? I'm not an expert. I'm just some random guy on the other end of the computer. I'm an expert. I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm closer to a monkey than I am an expert. Let me tell you something right now. Only by yeah. seven, eight. Make him try to games. find you. <laughs> <laughs> I just told you I'm a monkey. Good night, guys. Thanks for having me. Good night, me. everybody.